Welcome to the Tea Grannies. I'm Elise. And I'm Maria. Today we're here to talk about Elise's new book, Roots of Blood. It's officially available on Kindle, Kobo, Apple Books, essentially wherever you get your ebooks. Pour yourself a cup of tea and let's get started. I'm particularly excited to talk about this book because I was able to see it from its early stages through to the finish. I've also workshop book two in the series and I am pumped for that. Your writing has grown in leaps and bounds over the years and seeing this print was nearly as exciting for me as it is for you. <laughs> for those who haven't read it yet, can you give us your pitch? Okay, okay. Don't hate me because I'm just gonna read the summary. And um, it's up on all major ebook retailer sites because I put a lot of work into the summary. Summaries are harder to work on than the actual book. So <laughs> I hope you can give me some credit. Um, so here it goes. For readers of We Hunt the Flame and Everless, in Roots of Blood, blood is currency and allies come from the unlikeliest of places. Nim is the last living nymph in the province of Gallia, and Jay is out for her blood. Her people have been hunted to near extinction for the healing properties in their bodies. She's supposed to be Jay's solution to everything. Instead, Jay's convictions war with his loyalties, and he saves her from certain death, becoming a mercenary on the run in the process. Nim knows she can't trust him. She has the scars to prove it. But she has no other choice. Jay is her only option, and his only option is to return home from banishment, risking imprisonment and even death if he wants to keep them both safe. Hey! And it's the first <laughs> book in a planned trilogy, and book two is in the beta reading stage right now, but book three is still in the, like, ideas and writing down things before the first draft. Like, I'm not even considering it first draft yet because I've written, like, a chunk of one chapter that may or may not be in the book. Um... <clears throat> But I want to write the first draft before the end of the year, so cross your fingers for me. I believe in you. You've got really good draft writing skills. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so let's talk a little about your main characters. Sure. Uh, Nim and Jay are such vastly different characters. What was it like switching between their point of views and nailing their voices? Okay. So I forgot about this until I saw this question. Um, I originally wrote the draft exclusively from Nim's point of view. Like I didn't write from Jay's head at all. Um, and I, I like reading stories from just individual points of view. I've always enjoyed those. I like multiple points of view as well, but I tend to gravitate more towards the, the single POV. I don't know why. Um, but then I started adding his voice during one of the revisions because I was, I was cutting a lot of like the second half of the book. I wasn't happy with it. And then I was realizing that I wanted some kind of a break from Nim or just something to contrast with her internal voice because her internal struggles can be pretty dark and intense given what she goes through. So I wanted Jay to kind of help balance that off. I'm not sure if that worked because he can be a really dark bastard too. So <laughs> whatever, but it's a different kind of darkness. So maybe it's fine. I don't know. And, um, the other reason why I didn't want to write, like why I just wanted to stick with Nim for the first few drafts was that like I tend to shy away from writing male perspectives because um, I'm afraid I won't be able to do it justice. Like I have no idea what it's like to be a dude. I know dudes have no idea what it's like to be a woman. So like I, I don't want to think that I can write it effectively. But at the same time, if you consider how much fiction is written by and about guys, um, I do think I've done enough reading to do it somewhat, do it justice, and then workshopping and beta reading will take care of the rest, right? <laughs> we can hope. <laughs> um, so I'm counting on people to help me out along the way, but I also just wanted to try it out and experiment with it. Um, and then once I had spent so long in Nim's head, and I started looking at Jay from inside his own head, and just 
um, seeing how that might fit into the story. It was actually really refreshing. Um, like I said, they're both very dark characters, but in a different way. So it was really refreshing to get into his head and have him respond to Nim and see how that all worked internally rather than from Nim's perspective. And then when I started writing him more, I realized that I wasn't writing him consistently just from Nim's point of view. Like how she saw him was swaying what he would do and that wasn't accurate to who he was. So I ended up revising quite a bit of the draft when I started peppering him in in between and realizing like, no, he would do that for different reasons, which changes like the next four chapters and how they play out. So I had to rewrite a whole bunch of that, but it was a lot of fun and I'm really glad that I threw him in there. I like dual point of view personally. Mm -hmm. um, I don't read a lot of single point of view. I think I like the different perspectives of a dual point of view, especially in fantasy. You get to yeah. see how they view and interact with the world versus how your other character views and interacts with the world. So that's mm -hmm. one of the things I like about it. And I think it works amazingly well in this story. So did you know this would be a trilogy when you first started working on it? Or did you plan on it being a standalone? And then do you prefer writing standalones or series? <laughs> this one always makes me laugh because Roots of Blood was initially supposed to be a standalone. Like I, I didn't want to write series. I didn't want to get into that. That sounded messy and complicated and I was just starting out. So, you know, why make it harder than it needs to be? Um, and then I finished draft one. I cut 50% of it. I revised it and revised it again and realized that it's absolutely impossible to conclude this, the character arcs, let alone the story itself in one book. Mm -hmm. And I like I fought against that for a long time. I was like trying to brainstorm, okay, how can I wrap this up in 30,000 words? You can't, you idiot. And so I had to come to that conclusion and, you know, accept it. And then, uh, yeah, it's a planned trilogy, but who knows, it could turn into four books by the time I'm done because um, I'm way too wordy to be trusted. So, <laughs> you know, I won't apologize for this. It might turn into four books. It could totally do that. I think we'd all be okay with that. Be wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> and how long have you been working on this particular story? Uh, so Roots of Blood book one has been like six years in the making, give or take a little bit. Because I started it after I graduated high school and before I decided what I wanted to do post-secondary with college or whatever. Um, so I was working in a bookstore at the time and... Um, during the course of writing it, I did take at least like one year off. Like I didn't touch it at all for the year that I was in dorms in college. And then um, I got back into it when I enrolled in the writer's studio the following year and then actually finished it. Because um, I think I was stuck at the three quarter mark for quite a while. And then I took that one year break and then I enrolled in TWS and um, I had been ready to give up on it entirely like I do with <laughs> so many projects. Um, but that that, those courses, that class just like gave me the drive to finish it. And then I did a bunch of querying and tried to get it traditionally published. And that took a couple of years. So when I say six years in the making, that's not six years of pure writing. That's like trying to get it published, taking a break and revising it a whole bunch. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of little details in there that I'm not going to get into right now because it would take way too long <laughs> and it would probably bore the heck out of you. I hope that's a comfort to some of you listeners who are writers because mm. it's not always a cut and dry like I'm going to spend six months on this draft and then it's going to be ready to go. Yeah, um, you do have to factor in factor in breaks and you know being tired of it or getting stuck on it and then all the other steps that come with it. it it's yeah. usually a couple of years before a story is kind of ready to mm -hmm. go. 
maybe that's not the case for some, but sure. But especially if you don't have an ending planned out. Yeah, it's going to take you a while. I promise. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, how did the story develop and what made it the one you chose to self-publish over all the other stories that you've you've written? Mm. Yeah. The self-publishing story I'll save for a little bit later, but um, (laughs) as for the story and how it developed on its own. I like talking about this one. I don't know why. I was, it's like most of my ideas start out with just a random image or a feeling that pops into my mm-hmm. head. It's not usually anything concrete. Um, it might be the idea of this person and I don't know anything about them, but they seem either visually really interesting and I want to describe them or they have kind of this interesting piece of backstory that I want to explore. Um, so Roots of Blood was one of those. I was sitting on a riverbank with great intentions to read a nice fantasy novel that I had with me. I was all prepared. I was going to get a whole bunch of chapters out of the way. Um, and for some reason, I ended up just sitting there staring at the other bank and not reading at all and just like wondering what might be happening on the other side. Because it was just, it was all trees. Like I couldn't see anything on the shoreline. And for some reason, I got curious. I started wondering like, if something started to happen over there on the other side of the water and I could just see it playing out and I couldn't do anything about it, what could that look like? Um, and I had a little notebook with me that I carried around everywhere and I started writing about, I just started writing about the, the scenery mostly, like what it would feel like to be there and to be hiding amongst the trees and maybe looking across the riverbank, kind of describing those feelings that I was having. And then it just grew from there and turned into this story idea and just kept on like it was a snowball effect it just kept on getting bigger and bigger until I had to figure out what I was going to do with it um and I don't know maybe some people write from a theme or an initial message that they want to share with people and they're like I want to write a story about this injustice or this other thing and these really big ideas and maybe that works for some people but I have not been able to get into that like it it doesn't seem to work for me. I was talking with an artist friend the other day about this, and we talked about how we both strive to make our art for ourselves first, which at first glance might sound kind of selfish, but we both realize that as soon as we start trying to make it for other people and writing for this specific group and trying to kind of get in with the crowd, we lose this enjoyment. We lose the sense of joy that we get out of making it in the first place, and it becomes like totally not worth it anymore. So... Yeah, I didn't approach it with a theme or message. It it started as an idea for a story that I knew I personally, if I picked it off the shelf, I would love to just sit down and get absorbed in it. And that was always the goal. And then, I mean, along the way, themes emerged from the characters. Um, I try to explore like these bigger ideas of the human capacity for cruelty and morally gray characters and ideas of redemption and how far you can go before you're irredeemable to somebody. And that I think that comes through in my draft for book two and it kind of carries through as a theme, but that was never a driving force. That was never something I set out to do. And even as I write the rest of the series, like book two and three, it's not top of mind. It's not something I'm intentionally trying to add in there because I don't want it to be contrived and I don't want it to be forced. So if it'll happen, it'll happen. I just want to enjoy the story. That's the thing about theme that I think some people get stuck on um, is they go into their story with a, a theme or some a message they want to get across and then they get stuck or they can't portray it properly because they're so focused on the theme. And I think it's more important to focus on the character and the story and let the themes kind of come out on their own. 
but every writer is different, but that's, that seems to be the best uh, for me and for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you said earlier that you did try and get this one, this one project traditionally published. What made you decide to self-publish in the end? Uh, yeah, I was, I was dead set against self-publishing for a long time. Um, especially as I was working on Roots of Blood and once I'd revised it, I was ready and I was trying to get it published and my plan was always to go traditional. So I, I did query it. I did try to go that route. Um, and I think I queried the first time around 50 times and received a good chunk of rejections from those or else no reply at all. Um, and then I did some revisions. Uh, I didn't get any feedback from anyone. So I just kind of had to sit there with, is it because I'm not targeting the right people or is there something actually wrong with it? And I didn't know. I couldn't know that. So I set it aside for a while and then I came back to it and I changed some things that I bumped on personally just because either I was self-conscious or they actually needed to change. Who knows? We'll never know. It's fine. Um, And then I tried again. I sent out a few more queries. I got, I think I got a request for the whole thing at that point. Someone asked to read the whole thing, but then they decided against it, but they didn't give me any feedback. So I still couldn't revise it according to that. Um, and then in between, when I was taking a break from querying Roots of Blood, I wrote and queried an entirely different project and um, ended up rejected there too. And then um, the shift, I think, happened when we took, we went to the Surrey's International Conference, Writers Conference, uh, the online one last year during COVID. And one of the speakers they brought on was Brandon Sanderson. And if you don't know Brandon Sanderson, just look him up. He's got some great books if you're into epic fantasy. He's one of my favorites. So uh, there's a plug for him. He didn't know I was promoting him, but there we go. <laughs> We're not sponsored in any way, disclaimer. Um, and his talks are amazing. If you can go to are. one and check out his YouTube, you should because mm-hmm. they are fantastic. He has a full writing course available for free on YouTube. And if you're a writer of anything, I recommend checking that out Mm because he's phenomenal. Um, So he was giving this talk on traditional publishing versus self-publishing and brought up the idea of working with a hybrid model because of how much the publishing industry has changed. Um, And I guess I just needed to hear it from a reputable source, which is, you know, where (laughs) my failings come in. I'm only going to do it if someone important says it, so... (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. He said the right words and hybrid model got stuck in my head. And then you and I um, started talking with another writer friend, mutual friend, who was interested in self-publishing and had done one but hadn't really promoted it, hadn't gone anywhere. So we all decided that we wanted to learn more about the self-publishing process. Um, And we didn't we didn't necessarily make a plan. We were going to meet and then COVID like trashed everything. So (laughs) we kind of stagnated a little bit on that. But um, I am under the impression personally that rightly or wrongly, I learn my best by doing. So I decided we want to learn about this. So why don't I just try it? So I decided to publish Roots of Blood as, an, as completely as an experiment. Like that's what it is. I'm not, I'm not expecting great and glorious things of this <laughs> adventure. I just want to know what it's like, what the process is, how does it actually work? Um, what platforms do I like? What platforms don't I like? And yeah, it's all just one big learning game and that's fun for me so why not (laughs) and I'm very grateful eternally grateful that you are taking the leap first so if I self-publish down the line I've got you to lean on and tell me what to do (laughs) (laughs) which actually leads us right into my next question which are uh, what do you think the advantages and disadvantages of self-publishing are now that you've got a novel out That's a really good question. And I don't know if I'll do it justice, but for me personally, um, 
Full control is obviously a great feature that people bring up a lot. Like, I've never been traditionally published, so I don't know what that's like. I don't know what that all involves. But people always have talked about how you sign away so many rights to your work when you go that route and you don't have full control and decisions get made for you and all of this stuff. Personally, I think I'd be fine with that because I like to go with the flow. But um, <laughs> I don't know if it makes a big difference either me way. Me too. <laughs> you know, right? Having that backing is almost, you know, worth it to me. But there is something comforting in knowing that I own this entirely. I can go off and make an audiobook with it if I want, and I can choose exactly how I'm going to do that. I had full control over what I wanted the cover to look like. Um, I could have designed that myself if I wanted, but I don't recommend that. <laughs> we can get into that later. Um and I don't have to jump through hoops or deal with red tape because of rights that I've signed away or whatever that is and all of those complications. Um, again, I'd probably just go along with it and be fine with it if I went traditional, but it's it's nice to have options. Like I definitely get that from the self-publishing route. And then I make my own schedule for this. Like everything is riding on my shoulders and I have no one to blame for any piece of the process if anything goes wrong. And like that's simultaneously terrifying and comforting for me it's more comforting because of because of my expectations and my motivations going into it um I take comfort in that I only have to get the project up to my standards I'm not doing this for anybody else and I get to set the bar for what success looks like so that can be like in someone else's opinion it might be a super low bar whatever I don't care I think I think I want what I want and I'm not beholden to anyone else's opinion so um yeah it's there's there's a lot of freedom to it and I think I cherish that freedom a lot more than I realized when I started um and like I have no idea how to market this thing so that's that's a disadvantage that I I feel pretty pretty heavily I'm not expecting much in way of results because I don't know what I'm doing and a part of the reason why I always wanted to go traditional was that I wanted the help of having a publishing house at my back like however minimal that is they're not gonna like just really drive the book hard for you you have to do a lot of the work yourself but having that team behind you you can ask questions um and you at least get a little bit of help on the marketing side and i don't know that that's definitely a disadvantage that stops a lot of people but that being said marketing happens to be my day job career and i'm learning more and more about it every day uh whether i want to be or not and i get paid to do it so um you know, I'm really excited to try things like the different things I'm learning from my work and see what happens with that and like trading strategies back and forth. But that's just me and not everyone is going to be that nerdy. So I recognize that. <laughs> see, I like I like the idea of being able to control everything. But then I also would love to have a publishing house to lean on. So right? it's a tough. It's a tough one. If you know, if we get to choose like things to think about there. Yep. <laughs> and so because it's self-publishing, uh, the steps are going to be different. So, I mean, we would love to talk about traditional publishing steps at some point, but for today, we'll talk a little about uh, the self-publishing mm -hmm. steps. And so can you give us just a quick description of the steps and the process it took to get your book ready to publish? Yeah, I'll try to do this rapid fire because I know we're going to be talking about like each of these individually in later, later episodes, later seasons. But um, skipping over like the basics, writing, workshopping, editing the work, getting that full manuscript complete, obviously. Um, a few things that you're going to want to think about if you're going the self-publishing route are your back cover copy. That's maybe one of the biggest ones. So the, your summary, the thing that someone reads on an Amazon, on Amazon page of your book and 
that's one of the primary tools that people are going to use to decide whether they want to read it or not, aside from the cover and everything else. So um, write the back cover copy, write it again, workshop the hell out of it, and edit, 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 because you want to be happy with it. You want it to be as good as it can be, and it can be really hard, but do the work because it's 100% worth it and you're going to need it. Um, and then using some kind of book editing tool, you're going to have to find like the, um, I use Readsy where I upload my manuscript to this tool and it lays everything out in chapters and gives headings for it. And I don't have to do that work myself because I'm not, I'm not a book layout designer. I don't know the first thing about doing that. And I don't want to learn that right now. And then beyond the layout, You'll have to think about hiring an editor and what stages of editing you want done, whether you want to do a bunch of it yourself and what that looks like, and whether you can get like a bunch of the editing done through workshopping and with friends and stuff. And then getting a list of advanced reader copy readers, beta readers. Um, for my advanced reader copies, that's essentially a, it's a version of the book that's not quite the officially published book, um, but it's it's like as close to the latest version as it can be. And um, I pull from my pool of beta readers for this. So it's just people that want to read the book for free in advance. And they might give you some reviews for it. That's the most ideal case um, to send the book to a bunch of people just close before the publishing date so that you can build up the hype for it. Like it's a marketing tool, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, and you can do this using giveaways. You can give away advanced reader copies. You can um, make it a contest, which can be pretty fun. Or you can just like, like I do, I pull for my beta readers. There's different um, websites that you can look into that might help with this process. I just haven't gotten there yet because I'm just learning all of the basics. So um, yeah. And then in order to send that out, you're going to have to create an advanced reader copy file version that's not the final version. Um, and distribute that by email or however it is you want to do that and figuring out all those things. And then cover design, I haven't even talked about. You're going to either buy a pre-made cover or work with the designer and hire them to do that. And then you have to add the cover art, the final file, to the book editing tool and download your final file so that the, the book cover is in there with the text and it's all packaged together. And then um, one of the last steps before marketing is choosing how you want to distribute it. So that's like, do I want to publish with Amazon or do I want to publish with Kobo or, um, both and, and then, um, I went directly through Kindle and Kobo, and then I used draft to digital for a bunch of other platforms because they distribute a bunch of stuff for you as well. Um, the last phase is promoting it and, um, this is, this is where we all just kind of get sad a little bit sometimes because marketing is hard and no one knows what they're doing. But, um, one of the biggest recommendations I've heard is having an email list, even if it's small at first, um, have that because most people have email, whereas not everyone is going to be on your preferred social media platform. Um, so it's just more versatile and it's more effective and it, you just, you know, you're getting directly into their inbox. Whereas with social media, algorithms who even knows anymore um so i have a small email list that is mostly friends and family at this point and i just use it to let them know when things are happening as much as i can and then i also promote on instagram to the follower base that i've cultivated there from being in the bookstagram community so if you are a writer that's a big recommendation follow bookstagrammers make friends with bookstagrammers um and just do whatever you can to be in that space and comment on each other's stuff and be a part of the community because those are the people who are going to be reading your work and 
um, it's a vast and warm and wonderful place to be. I've really enjoyed getting to know bookstagrammers through Instagram, um, which is saying a lot because I don't love social media. So <laughs> <laughs> I actually think uh, bookstagram has been one of the most fun parts of our podcast that I wasn't expecting. Mm. Everyone's so welcoming. And we did a giveaway when we hit a thousand followers yes. and that was super fun. We'll do another one when we hit 2000 followers. And uh, it's just been nice to chat with people who are obsessed as obsessed with reading as we are. And there's, there's writers on there too. I haven't, uh, I haven't made as many writer friends as, as reader friends, but it's really fun to talk about what's popular right now. And yeah. there's a book recently that came out that was very popular that most people loved. And then there's a few people that didn't love it. And so I found my people there because I didn't love it <laughs> Which I thought was hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's really wonderful. I love Instagram. If you're interested in purchasing Roots of Blood, please see our show notes for the links. If you do read this awesome book, please rate and review on Goodreads and wherever you purchase your copy. Reviews are incredibly important for indie authors. And that's the tea on Roots of Blood. If you want more information on Elise and her projects, you can check her out at elisebolkman.com and sign up for her newsletter. You can also reach us anytime at theteagrannies at gmail.com or follow us at the Tea Grannies Podcast on Instagram. It's time to put the kettle on. We'll see you again next week. Happy writing.